This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview with Tim Ziakis, the managing partner of Parkview Sports Group and director of channel partnerships and strategy with the Center for Creative Leadership. We will discuss his career in working with leadership teams and investment groups to expand brand reach and visibility. And we'll also talk about giving students tips to build their personal brand. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure and glad you're able to join us today. And just tell us about your roles with Parkview Sports and also the Center for Creative Leadership. Sure. So Parkview Sports is a venture that I started back in 2013 as a result of some of the work that I was doing in the sports management space. So I I come from a background of owning sports academies, investing in sports academies, uh, working with them in terms of leveraging their brand, expanding and scaling. And so Parkview Sports was a function of that, was going into existing sports facilities around the country helping them just understand who their audience is, who they're trying to reach, and at the same time, helping them actually function as a, as a true uh, business. A lot of times they're, they're side projects, but at the end of the day, they, they have to be profitable. So that's where Parkview Sports sort of came to be. And then switching over to the Center for Creative Leadership, doing a lot of that work with the senior leadership teams of these sports facilities and these sports startups, started to really kind of drill down and said, you know what? There's, there's not just marketing and branding work to be done here. There's, there's true leadership development work that they may not have access to and a lot of times didn't have access to like a major company might. And so the Center for Creative Leadership is a, is a research institute solely developed, uh, solely devoted to, to leadership development. And so where I sit is on the partnership side, working with universities, colleges, executive departments around the country. You know, that's fascinating because we've got a little bit similar background because I, I was run, I ran health centers and fitness centers for about a decade. And you're right, people who own those and, and operate those, you know, they're very good at what they do. They're very good at, at running the centers and providing good, clean, safe environments to, to work out um, or for athlete development, whatever space that they're in. But I can see where you're talking about where there may be a gap between knowing how to manage people and maybe knowing how to lead people. Um, so talk a little bit about that on, on what you've seen maybe from your experience and, and maybe just you know briefly some of the things that you can share about filling that gap. Yeah, well, leadership is, is one of those things that's that buzzword that we sometimes think that because you're a, a high performer or you've done really well in your job, that automatically kicks you into the next level of what we would call leadership and leading others. And we see it in sports facilities. I've seen it in the network. I've seen it at Fortune 500. I've seen it at startups. I've seen it at universities. That just because you're a top performer does not necessarily correlate to you being a great leader for your team. And so it's that mindset shift is that it's not, it's not about me. It's no longer about my ability to get things done. It's about my ability to influence and bring along a team to be aligned and heading in the right direction, making sure that everybody's committed to the cause. And those are, those are learnable traits. That is not something that you were born with. You know, we always hear, oh, as a natural born leader, or she's a natural born leader. That's, 
That's not true. And there's research and data to prove that. Leadership is a learned uh, set of skills. And so what we see both in Parkview Sports and at the center is that unless you have that, that self-awareness to identify that, you know, here's my weaknesses, here's my strengths, and how do these really affect the team? Managers struggle to get into that next gear of, of just truly being a good leader for the organization of the team that they're with. Yeah, so tell us about, you know, maybe practically to give people a better picture, you know, what have been some scenarios that you've been in where, you know, you've seen a, a well-run team and you've gone in and just kind of helped facilitate that. And then maybe on the other side, have there been any situations where you went in and you're like, wow, you're really good at, at, at your business, but man, you're off at leading teams and we need to do all these things to kind of get you to where you need to be. Yeah, the, mo- the reason why most teams, regardless of what we're talking about, could be the, the high school baseball team, the drama club, the uh, startup project inside of a major organization. The reason why those initiatives fail is almost never because of the product or the widget or the service. It's always because of the team. And it's, it's the breakdown of the team dynamics is that not everybody is moving in the same direction. They don't understand which direction they should be moving in. They, they're not aligned. They don't all agree in the direction. So even if they, they understand what direction the leader wants them to go in, not all of them believe in it. And then lastly is really where we see a lot of teams fail is the commitment side. And I use, I use baseball as an example as a former college baseball player. We all knew that we were trying to win. Right? We knew the direction that we were trying to get to. We needed to win a conference championship, go to the NCAA tournament to compete for a college World Series title. We were mostly all aligned with that. We all, we all wanted that. The breakdown, if it was happening, was on the commitment side. In terms of what are we all individually willing to do for the best part of the team to make sure that the right direction, the right alignment are actually correct. And that's where the breakdown comes in, is that getting into the, into the weight room, taking extra swings, going to take extra ground balls, working with the hitting coach, working with the pitching coach. Th- those are levels of commitment, and that's effort. And unless you have that effort, it doesn't really matter how much talent you have on the team. That's, you know, I can think of many examples of going into an organization where that is the fundamental breakdown. It's not what should we sell and how we should sell it. It's Who's actually putting in the work to make sure that this is actually going to be successful? That's the breakdown. And for any students, any of our students at Trinet might be listening. Tim, as a fellow D3 athlete, uh, you played baseball at Wheaton College. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So Wheaton College out in Massachusetts. And, you know, one of the things you were talking about, let's just, we'll keep it in the realm of sports. You were talking about, okay, to win a national championship, we have to win a conference championship. And to do that, we have to win 20 games. And to do that, we need the extra time in the cage and stuff. And this is something we talk about in some of my classes, whether it be sports psychology or, or some of my other leadership classes that I'm in, where we talk about setting goals and kind of having that big overarching goal. Um, but it's in the strategies and tactics along the way to get there. Do you do the same when you're consulting with businesses as well? Yeah, it's, it's the same process. Is where are we trying to go? That's usually not that hard, right? We, we all know where we want to go for the most part. Where we, where we differ sometimes is how do we get there? What's most important? And if you have a team of 10, 12, 4, you can't have everybody having different ideas on which direction they should be going and how well they're aligned. So 
there are definitely tools. There's self-assessments. There's, there's great uh, materials that we even use in our work at the center that allow people to come together, flesh out those ideas. But before we move on, let's, let's get to a core set that we can all agree on. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. So there's definitely tools and techniques that we use uh, to get you there. So how big does communication play in that? And again, I'm just keeping it in the sports space for, for this particular podcast, because we could really go wide on all this. But, you know, from like a coach's standpoint or an athlete standpoint, or even from like a professor to student or so on, from manager to, to, to worker, um, how big is that for like leaders to communicate well and openly on this is where we want to go. This is what we need to do to get there. We've all played for, worked for, been around people that are terrible communicators. They don't give clear direction. They're not concise. Their tone is off. The way they deliver messages is off. They don't listen. And so one of the things that, that we talk about, certainly at the center, is communication is a two-way street. It's, it's both parts, equal parts. How do I come across what is it that I'm saying? Who am I saying it to? What do they already know about the situation, right? And how well do I listen? How well do I hear what my teammates, my employees, my direct supervisors are saying to me in a way that I can actually hear for their feelings, emotions, facts, values? And so that's where the breakdown comes in on any team is, am I giving good direction, right? Do the people that are receiving this message are they receiving the actual message that I want to get across or is it being construed another way? And then on the flip side of that is, am I actually understanding what they're saying to me? Am I understanding their concerns when they are bringing new ideas to me? Am I putting them down or am I listening to them? Am I taking them into consideration in my decisions? And that's where the breakdown comes in a lot of times, especially with new teams where you have that authoritative uh, manager, leader, coach, the world doesn't work that way anymore. We need interdependent leadership. Interdependent leadership is really how the best teams get done. The New York Yankees uh, didn't win championships because of Joe Torre. They won championships because he allowed his players to make decisions, fail, take risks, learn from them, and, and put together a really good team because of it. It's not because of any one person sending messages throughout. It's, it's the interdependent nature of it. Do you think, and this, this may be an unfair question, but do you think like over the years, like some of that's changed where leadership, it's a little bit, it's not as hierarchical as it used to be. And it's a little bit more flat now. Um, and people are a little bit more apt to respond to a, to a culture that, you know, everybody's voice is kind of um, listened to and, and, and appreciated. Yeah, I think, I think actually if you would go back 30, 40, 50 years from now, and look at those companies that had that authoritative directive approach, and you applied to those scenarios an interdependent approach, those businesses would have been in business longer. They would have scaled further. They would have been more profitable. And so really what we're finding now is that companies, teams, organizations all along should have had this interdependent relationship. We just now have some research and some data that back up those hypotheses, but uh, that's really how teams are super effective. You don't have one person making decisions, you're empowering the entire group to not just have a say, but to go test and try and fail. And that's the only way that any team 
really succeeds in the long run. As we're in the leadership space, this is the second podcast in a row where we've had you know an expert on leadership on, and and I find it fascinating just because that's what I study in my PhD currently. But um, you know, one of my favorite theories or parts of leadership is just the interaction between the leader, the situation, and the follower. Um, I love the documentary over the summer with Mike, well, about the Bulls with the last dance and, yeah. and Michael Jordan. And he was just a, a tough guy and people would come in and Steve Kerr talked about how they got in a fight in practice, but he knew they had to get them tough in order to win a championship. And everybody was on board in that type of situation in the sport because they knew that's what they needed to get where they want to go. Where if you would try that, you know, like on a college campus where if, if my dean came in and wanted to start getting into a fight because my valuations weren't high enough, it wouldn't work because the dynamics changed. You think there's legs to that? In, in terms of Jordan's like just kind of matching your leadership style with kind of your followers in, in the certain situation. Well, yeah, I think I think that that is part of leadership, right? Part of leadership, there, it's not a template. It's not a formula. It's not the same thing every single time. And so part of leadership is understanding what talent you have, what skills they have, what do they need to improve on, and then building a, a culture around that team, right? And so Phil Jackson is a great example, right? He can go to the Lakers. He can go to the Bulls. It's his mindset. It's his leadership philosophy that allows those teams to be successful. The talent, the individual talent on those teams, significantly different, right? Different personalities, different talent, different game. The Lakers, when he was there, were completely, it's in a different time than when he coached the Bulls. The game evolved. So, but the leadership style in the sense of listening, observing, uh, not being authoritative, being open to suggestion, that's why Phil Jackson's a brilliant, you know, coach. It's why he'll go down in history as one of the all-time greats because he was able to do that with two major franchises. That's that doesn't happen very often, <laughs> right? And and it's fascinating. We could we could probably go on for hours, kind of dissecting all this and kind of all the all-time greats. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I am just kind of interested that how did you kind of get in this space? We talked about you know you saw a need and in a, in a gap there for you know, especially people who are running, you know, facilities and on, on the sports side. But, you know, where did this passion for, for leadership come from, from you? And, and what have you kind of learned over the years that, that you may pass on to somebody who, who might be interested in this? Something that I learned uh, a few years back was that the experiences that I had even further back were informing and guiding me in the, in the present moment. And it's one of those things where I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I had the fortunate opportunity to play for a world-class leader and coach at Wheaton College. I mean, just an absolutely fantastic leader. But when you're 19 years old, you don't know that. Right. When you're 22 years old, you don't know that. When you're 27, you don't know that. And so looking back, I started to think about, well, why is it that I'm so passionate about leadership? Why does it bother me? This is really where it was. Why does it bother me so much to see people in high positions, important positions, that people are counting on them for guidance and advice fail over and over and over again in being a good leader for the people that they're leading? And it really struck a chord with me. And, it, and I, what I realized was is that I was, I was a product of great leadership. I knew innately how to get teams together, how to handle different personalities. And so the consulting piece of what I've done in my background came from that, is that 
I don't want to see really smart people, good ideas, great community businesses, smart startups fail solely because of leadership, because it's not necessary. If the people involved in leading the org are aware of it and realize what detriment they're having on the org, they're going to stop most likely, but they have never had anybody to teach them about it. They didn't play a high level of college baseball with a fantastic leader to learn those experiences. But it doesn't mean that that's a lost cause. You can go through professional development. You can go through communication courses. You can go through leadership development courses. And especially today, it's at the, at the push of a button. You can take online classes and do this stuff. And so that's where the passion for me comes in is that leadership should never be the reason why great ideas or businesses fail. If outside marketing conditions or economic conditions or uh, internal operations fail, fine. That's, that's the cost of being a business. It should never be because the executive team is not a good team and not good leaders. It just, it, that's something that has stuck with me for years. And, and you can be honest about answering this and I certainly won't take any offense, but are we, are we doing a good enough job at the higher ed level kind of teaching some of these skills? Cause we're good with the hard skills, right? Like you could come to college and we could teach you how to be an accountant or we could teach you how, um, about economics or English or how to write all that stuff. But preparing students, you know, on the leadership side, on communication side, on fostering teamwork, motivation, has there been a little bit of lack in making like work ready students? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there, there has been. And it's not at, at anyone's fault. It's because higher ed traditionally has been the technical skills, right? The way that we learn as humans has changed drastically. We now know that you're not going to graduate college and work in the same industry for 30 years with the same skill set, which is what was happening for decades, right? At, at the end of college, if you got your bachelor's degree, you were technically supposed to have everything that you need so that that would take you through to retirement. That's just vehemently not true anymore. And it really wasn't true then, but that's just, if you were a shoemaker, you were a shoemaker. If you were a doctor, you were a doctor. If you're an attorney, you're an attorney. But there's, there's people that worked in a supermarket and thought they needed to work in a supermarket for 40 years or be an auto mechanic. That's not that's not accurate. You can go do lots of different things. And we now know that the average graduate today will have 17 different jobs across five different industries. We know that. And so the real skill set that higher ed is now transitioning to, and I should say executive ed, because that's the space that I'm in, mm -hmm. is they're realizing that it's not the technical skills, it's the human skills, it's the leadership skills, the soft skills that you need to learn that as you go through your course of your career, you can add value in all different types of ways. And when you need the technical skills, you can go to your community college and take a two-day course on accounting and get everything you need to know. You can go take a one-week course at Carnegie Mellon on artificial intelligence and get a really nice education in one week. That didn't exist before. So when you find yourself in an industry, an organization, and you need that technical skills, we're in a global workforce now. You can go find those technical skills. Whether or not you can afford it is a different story, but you, they're, they're accessible. The leadership skills have to be constant. And higher education traditionally has not done a great job 
because they've been so focused on the tech stuff. The, the exec ed, the continuing ed arms of universities are starting to do a fantastic job. One of my jobs is to help these universities stand up leadership development institutes as co-curriculum inside of the university that runs in parallel with the technical stuff. And so higher ed is starting to, to change that mindset, definitely at the exec ed and the senior ed side. Again, I agree with that. I set you up a little bit because I agree. Those are things that we need to be doing on, on the college side. And, you know, I, I mean, I can speak for trying and we've we started implementing some program on that as well because we understand what it is employers want um, just with the way our university is set up. But are there things, you know, if a school does not have some of that executive education, are there things students can start to do now while they're undergrads to start to prepare themselves or maybe differentiate themselves from um, the 10,000 other grads that are going to be graduating in May um, to maybe get their resume up um, a little bit higher on, on an executive's desk, whether it be in the leadership space, communication space, um, any of those soft skills? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some ways for you to just start to do a really good self-assessment, which at 22 years old is very difficult to do, right? And you, there's a very limited amount of experience that you have. However, I will say is that the experience you do have is more in fact impactful than you give yourself credit for. And so the things that you're learning over the past four years and even through high school and earlier, you're, you're applying those things. And so a self-assessment, a really quick way to do it is, what am I genuinely interested in doing? Not find, take your, take your mat, take your degree and put it on the side, right? Forget about your major. What are you genuinely interested in? What do you find yourself reading about? What do you find yourself doing? What do you find yourself watching? And put that in a column. What do you, what do you like to do, right? Like, are, are you a math person? Are you a science person? Are you a salesperson? Do you like marketing? Do you like social media? Put that in a column. And then what is the type of organization? What is the type of mission that I want to apply my skill set? Because when I talk to when I talk to graduates, um, and these are these are these are students that are a couple years outside of, of, of school, they're still not really doing what it is that they want to be doing. They still don't have this, this feeling on Sunday night that they're looking forward to the next day on Monday morning. And that's not the way that you should go through life. And so what is it that you want to be doing? What type of organization? Is it small? Is it large? Is it, is it socially responsible? Is it in finance? Is it in marketing? Is it in tech? And then once you start to have that self-assessment, go find it. They're out there. Go write a note to the managing director of a hedge fund. Go write a note to the hiring manager of Netflix. Go introduce yourself to the chamber of commerce. That takes effort. It takes you getting out of your comfort zone. But at the end of the day, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, what do you want to say that you did with your career? Do you want to say that you did the same thing for 15 years, which is fine? Or are you the type of person that wants to go explore and learn all different types of things? And that's what work really should be. It's, it's the next step in your education. It's not the final step. It's just a step in, in, the, in many, many different iterations of your career. And that is great advice. And, and another thing that you brought up when we were asking you to be on the show was, was about students building a brand. And I think especially in the sports space that, that I am, I'm in here, you know, um, getting experience is really important. Um, networking is really important. You kind of just hit on that a second ago. 
And it's something that's, it's a little bit of a new concept to me because I'm on the other end of the, of the social media generation that didn't necessarily grow up with it. But branding yourself is really important now um, and doing it in a way that really kind of makes you attractive to employers. So if you would um, talk about that, what are some things students can be doing outside of, you know, their degree and experience and network to really get themselves out there and, and known by potential uh, hiring managers? Well, you, you know, your, your leadership brand is really who you are. It's your character. It's your work ethic. It's your morals. It's your ethics. And so regardless of what you go do, you have to get that set in stone because that, that doesn't change. The sooner students and, and more specifically recent graduates can truly become self-aware that's when things start to really accelerate. So for example, how do I come across when someone meets me for the first time? Do I come across the way that I want to come across? Do I come across confident? Do I come across humble? Um, those are really important things. And, and the beauty about social media is you can create that brand without ever having to leave your, your, your cubicle, your, your dorm room. You know, you have tools like LinkedIn that are just fantastic, fantastic platforms for you to not only just talk about yourself, which you really don't need to, but show people how you think, what you're interested in. You can influence your brand without talking about yourself. And so an example of that is there's no reason why at 22, you can't go volunteer at a nonprofit that you vehemently agree with and be able to tell that story as to why you joined that nonprofit. You're not telling me that you're a good leader. You're showing me that you're a good leader. And if I'm a good hiring manager, I'm going to see, wow, this person volunteers here. They work here. They coach here. This is someone that's got their stuff together. And you're doing that without necessarily with an intentional focus of, I need to improve my, my leadership brand. No, you're just developing who you are. And, and here's a, a, a secret that doesn't stop. It, you don't figure out at 23 just because you graduated college. I'm still figuring it out. You're still figuring it out, right? Yep. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm still, I'm still going. And so the leadership brand is the part that stays with you. And it, it's, it really starts with self-awareness is, is who am I, who do I want to be and how do others perceive me? Once you get that down, you can start adding in some of the other leadership competencies that are important, but self-awareness is where it starts. And that's great advice. And, and maybe you can give us an example kind of from, from your own personal experience. What are some things you've done to, to help push your brand? I mean, the way we got connected was on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. I think it's been a great tool and it's something that I really push my students. Um, you talked about that. Uh, are there other things that you've encountered? It's like, oh, wow, this is also a great thing or something that's kind of new and up and coming to get students out there to get their name out there, get their experience or their passion that you talked about out there? There's a misunderstanding that at 22 years old, you don't have a whole lot to add to the world, that your job is to listen and learn and, and do. I just vehemently disagree with that. I think that that's part of it. But I think that you have value to add. And so a couple of examples that I'll give, I speak to a couple other sports uh, management programs. And one of the questions I get a lot from, especially athletes, right? We have, we have student athletes that are into this, this other bucket of sports management graduates. They, they kind of intertwine a lot, but 
you know, what is it that I go do? You play soccer, do you play tennis? Do you play golf? Go teach. The very best thing that you can do early in your career is teach somebody else what you can do. And you'll start to learn about your ability. If you really want to be a leader, if you want to be an individual contributor, don't teach anybody anything and just worry about your craft. But if you actually want to be a leader and um, you know, bring teams along, go teach somebody. And so one of the questions that I got in the class was, Tim, I'm, I play college soccer. What are, you, what are you talking about? And I said, well, when you go back to your, your town this summer, you can go down to the local field and you can find a dad or a mom playing soccer with their son or daughter all over the place. There's no reason why you couldn't go up and introduce yourself and say, you know what? I play college at trying. I played college soccer trying. Would you mind if I showed you a couple of things? I saw you doing something. You can show them a couple of things that can add value immediately. You do that five, 10 times and you start to understand, holy cow, if I charged parents $15 an hour to put together group classes of seven and eight-year-olds to show them the basics, basics of trapping a ball or throw-ins, I could have a nice little side business here. And you may not, you're not going to go global and scale that, but you're going to learn how to lead. You're going to learn what your strengths are. You're going to learn how to teach others. And those are the things that add to your leadership brand that, again, you're not waking up in the morning thinking, let me improve my leadership brand today. But there are things you can be acting on and doing that over time, those little, those little actions are going to pay off huge in a big challenge at a big company in a big role that you can attribute back to your days of helping kids at the soccer field when you were 23 years old. And I don't think that mindset is instilled in students enough today. Yeah. And that's the great thing about being in college as a student, you know, you've got this kind of soft cushion where even if that doesn't go well and you fail, all right, no big deal. I still got a lot of time to kind of figure it out and figure out what my strengths are and then, you know, go from there. What other advice or any other things that, that have come up with students before in the past that you may pass along, especially like I know you work with student athletes, especially in the sports space. That's so competitive. I mean, a lot of industries are competitive, but especially working in uh, sport, uh, exercise science, all the things that we look at here in the Center for Sports Studies. Are there other things that students need to be doing to get themselves career ready? The number one leadership competency that we see organizations testing, assessing, and in need of today is learning agility. And the best way to explain that is learning agility is two parts. It's, it's the ability to learn something new, but more importantly, it's a curiosity to go out and seek out that new learning. And student athletes in particular already possess this and don't know that they possess it. So for example, as a former baseball player, one of the things that I used to do is after a game, I would think about my at-bats. I would think about the error. I would think about the good play that I made. And I would sit in the present and reflect on the past. And by doing that, I could be better prepared for future challenges that may come up that might be different than what I just went through, but I can pull from those past experiences. And as a student athlete, you're most likely doing this without even knowing you do it. You, you know, you're, you're usually dwelling on the negatives, right? You're not, you're not dwelling on that nice hit to the gap and you made it into a hustle double when others would have made it a single and made that part of your mantra as a player. But 
we see that in organizations. We see people that that are not very good at, at sitting in the present, period, right? They, they, they're always worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, and they're always worried about what happened yesterday, and they never really spend time in the present. So that in and of itself is incredibly important for student athletes. Be present, understand where you are, and be okay with that, right? Be okay with the unknown of what's going to happen, and be okay with the fact you can't control what just happened a day ago or two weeks ago. But then going forward is how do I assess new opportunities? How do I put myself in situations that I may not know everything and I shouldn't know everything, but being comfortable with that? That is incredibly important. And we see student athletes, when we assess them years into their career, they have these skills. Those that didn't play competitive sports, uh, participated in, in drama, was part of the, the concert, if they didn't have those team dynamics, they really struggle in organizations with that unknown and that ambiguity. So the number one thing that student athletes and, and graduates in general need to focus on is learning agility. How do I take existing experiences, be okay with the ambiguity and apply those experiences to future challenges? You can do that. That's more than half the battle. The technical stuff will come, but if you can have that mindset, the acceleration of your career is, is impressive. Yeah, even as my past uh, as a coach and and as a manager, I would always say, you know, I, I'd rather have to slow you down a little bit than have to speed you up. In if you're willing to do a bunch of different things and get your hands in a bunch of different things, um, I'll work with that and, and I'll train you. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll train you on the skills I need, but um, I can't train you on the motivation and being willing to to take charge. You got to do it on your own. That's absolutely right. And Tim, this is a great advice for all of our students. If they wanted to learn more about you or more about the Center for Creative Leadership, uh, where can they find you? Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. Very active, very involved. And then Center for Creative Leadership, ccl.org, nonprofit research institute, been around since the, the 70s. It's the only thing that we do is we research what it takes to be great leaders, uh, managers, executives uh, across all different industries. So fantastic resource for students to just start to learn about what they can do on their own because 5, 10, 15 years into your career, you may have access to the sum of the leadership development tools that big organizations provide to their, their employees. You don't have access to that from day one, but there's no reason why you can't read and research and apply some of those materials as soon as possible. So if you're listening, make sure you check that out. And on LinkedIn, it's Tim, Z-I-A-K-A-S. And uh, Tim, we appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to download our next episode on Friday, February 19th, when we interview sports science consultant, Adam Virgil. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes today. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.